0: like Dustin mentioned, we paid close attention to the area. And so C-class properties in rougher areas are a lot less attractive right now because a lot of those complexes right now are hitting all-time highs. because you have government support that's helping those tenants pay rent. But the question is, what does that look like when that support falls off six, 12 months from now? On top of that, you have these C-class properties that are in rougher areas that are hitting all-time highs. The T3 has been trending upwards. And so they're asking a four and a half cap for a 1960s property. It just doesn't make any sense. There's some future risks down the road
1: that we need to be aware of. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W-2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you want to become a full-time Multifamily or full time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're going to learn a ton. You will learn from real life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're going to share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello. Abel Pacheco here with the Five Talents podcast. We are highlighting multifamily investing path to financial freedom and other operators, syndicators, other investors that are like us and want to give you a little bit more education, background and insight to how we got started, what we're doing. And hopefully this will provide you a lot of value if you're listening today or watching. So again, my name is Abel Pacheco. I'm the president of Five Talents Commercial Real Estate. I have some amazing guests with us today. Just very humble, very appreciative that they were able to join. Dustin Miles and Hayden Harrington and they're with Momentum. I'm gonna let them introduce themselves because they have a lot of highlights to cover and I don't want to miss any. So without further ado, let me introduce Dustin and Hayden. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Doing great, yeah, Good. excited to be here. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for joining, we appreciate it. So I, we would love, you know, just kind of diving right into things. Tell us a little bit about your multifamily investments, your, you know, your experience, you know, I'd love to hear too. Where you from? Where you grew up? And then, you know, where you're doing deals today? And just give us the background here, Dustin and Hayden as well. Sure.
2: Yeah. So I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. Went to UT Austin for engineering. Hook'em horns. Yeah. And Yeah. I've been pre-entrepreneurial my entire life. I started a candy business when I was eight years old. My bus driver called me the Candy Man. And they actually threatened to kick me out of school if I didn't stop selling candy. And I think I was you know, taking some of their profits. So they didn't like that. And yeah, little kid, I was buying, selling baseball cards, mowing lawns through carnival. Whatever you could do to make money, I was doing it. My mom actually texted me a little while ago. There's a picture of me. I'm eight years old or so, and I have a bunch of $1 bills in my hands and I look so happy. (laughs) So um, anyways, but yeah, kind of, you know, always been starting different businesses in college. I had an internet business. I'm 42. And so this was pretty early on. Not everybody had, you know, had a website. So I was selling Pokemon cards. I didn't know anything about them, but my apartment was half filled with them. And I knew I could make money from them. So I had I was selling Pokemon cards and then I was got out of college and started flipping houses and doing single family rentals. And then, you know, always kinda had a vision of, of going a lot bigger. i played soccer my whole life and one of my friends growing up on my soccer team, their their parents owned some of the large commercial real estate in, in Fort Worth. They own a skyscraper in downtown Fort Worth. And you know, I was like, Hey, you know, just my young eight, nine year old mind was like, Hey, if these guys can do it, why, you know, why not me? And so, you know, that was kind of implanted at a very early age. And then, yeah, kind of, you know, found a coach, got into multifamily, uh, partnered up with uh with a guy. And then, yeah, just started going from there. You know, today I've done ten deals. Think about seventeen hundred units, about ninety million in value, and raised about twenty to twenty-five million. And I've been working full time up until about two thousand eighteen, and then I went part time in two thousand eighteen, and so worked two days a week as an engineer. And you know, uh, probably will be full time real estate here pretty soon. So,
1: that's awesome. Well, congrats on everything so far. Let me make sure I summarize for some of the listeners. What I think I heard, 10 deals, 1,700 doors, $90 million plus of real estate. And what length of time did it take you to kind of amass Uh, that? Yeah, I put together my first deal in 2014, so about six years. That's awesome. While working full-time, and you're still working part-time now. Yeah, it's not easy. It's a lot of work not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. That sacrifice is awesome. How about you, Hayden? Yeah. So
0: again, my name is Hayden Harrington, originally from the Woodlands, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston, basically. Growing up, I did single family a little bit with my dad. That kind of taught me the ins and outs of of real estate and how I got first taste for it. He was an engineer. By trades, he liked to figure things out. And so he didn't like to hire out the work to contractors. So it was me and him doing doing it all. So that kind of taught me my foundation and knowledge and real estate kind of got me first feel for everything. But then ended up going off to college and I started a, a nutrition company out of college actually. And that's what gave me my experience in marketing and branding. I really liked paying attention to, you know, where is there a need and how can I fill it? So I ended up growing that into about 90 stores or across about eight states. I sold it a couple of years back, and now diving full into commercial real estate. I've always had the dream, kind of like Dustin. You know, you look around and see these big buildings, and like somebody's got to own that. So why can't I? And so early in 2019, started networking around and just trying to get understand the business of commercial real estate trying to figure out which niche I wanted to be in. you know, I I did single family growing up, but I wanted to make sure I explored all different avenues. So I looked at office buildings, I looked at triple net. I looked at ground up retail development and and multifamily, of course. And that's kind of the one I settled on is I thought there was the most opportunity there. I thought it was the safest avenue to go to. Everybody needs a roof over their head. So once I set my sights on that, it was just a matter of figuring out how the game is played. how to get started and met Dustin and Dustin's an engineer by trade and I again like I loved marketing I loved branding I loved figuring out a way to stand out from my previous business it was on a shelf where you have a thousand different products how do you stand out right so I tried to bring that over to real estate too and I, I quickly realized that the way if you want to be a GP on a deal you either got to be able to raise capital or you got to be able to find deals. Those are the two things that will speak a syndicator's language, so to speak. And um, I knew finding deals would be a lot harder because I didn't have relationships with brokers. And so I also didn't have relationships with very high net worth people. So, But I knew I could find them too. And so that's kind of how I got started and just going around to different networking events, figuring out how everything works and I realized that the people putting the deals together were the ones that were hosting these events and attracting people to these different events. And my with my experience, I thought, well, maybe there if we improved these current events, we could attract more people and thus I could add value to to a team. And I brought the idea to Dustin in early 2019 and we teamed up to do our first event and it just kind of caught fire and grew from there. And since then we've been we've been offering on deals together and we had one that was accepted in early March, but with the whole pandemic, we actually had to, had to pull out, unfortunately, but yeah, we're still actively
1: swinging and, and submitting offers. Oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations that, you know, for both of y'all success. And I think the the newfound partnership, I think uh, a lot of passive investors, if you're listening, active operator syndicators, you understand there's the value of partnership and teamwork within multifamily that, Just in single family, you just don't get, you just don't have the opportunity to. And, you know, that's a great way to scale and continue on the business. And the engineers, the two engineers getting after it. So that's good. And so let's dig in a little bit. Dustin, if you don't mind, I'd love to start with really your kind of start, right? So getting back to, you know, at some point we'll circle back to the here and the now, which Hayden, I definitely... I can resonate a lot because I started the same way. But Dustin, the six years prior, what was your first deal in multifamily and how did you do it?
2: Yeah. So the first deal is, it was 109 units and it's in Haltom City outside of Fort Worth. It was actually a fame aid loan assumption that we did. And so, yeah, I ended up raising, I don't remember how many investors, but we raised about point six, five million or so, and this was in 2014. So the raises now are, I don't know what the minimum is, but the lowest one I've seen, I think more recently, is like three million. But at the time, one and a half was, and it's like, oh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Today, it's kind of almost, I don't say chump change for a raise, but it's, it's definitely on the lower end.
1: You wish you were still raising a million bucks for 109 units. <laughs> I,
2: I know, I know. It means, uh, yeah, low price deal, but, but yeah, we bought the deal, uh, bought it for under forty, forty k a door, which is, you know, obviously kind of unheard of right now. And so, yeah, it's good. And we actually we sold the deal last year. Sold it to the person that bought it was a passive investor that was in the deal that they, they turned into a, a syndicator. So we sold the deal last year. So we we held it. Uh, About five years, and through the five year hold, we'd actually refinanced it. And so we pulled out, you know, I think by year two, everybody had all their cash out. You know, it helps too. We bought it at, you know, at around a nine cap. That's
1: awesome. (laughs) 2014.
2: Part of the reason why it was a nine cap is because it's an assumption. You normally kind of get a discount on assumption because you're having to put more capital in. Because we got the loan to value is around 68% or so. But so, yeah, I ended up buying this and, you know, we held it. Like I said, two years in, everybody had all their cash out of the deal. Um, it was probably, I mean, super, super consistent deal. We were, you know, we probably averaged you know, 9%, 10% cash on cash throughout the entire project. You know, we had, you know, just like any deal, we had some bumps. We had, you know, a few manager, you know, change outs. But, you know, for the most part, super, super just, it, I mean, it was an ATM. One thing I do want to mention, because I don't feel like, you know, it gets a, enough of a highlight. One thing that we really like to do at Properties is because, I mean, you know, frankly, we're we're making a lot of money, you know, on these deals from the residents and so you know we like to give back and so we do pizza parties and pool parties and things like that and so you know we do or in easter egg hunts we do a lot of things to to you know for the residents we want them to you know for it to feel like a home and we want to give back and at the end of the day we want people to live in a you know, nice safe you know clean place So
1: that's awesome. I couldn't agree more with you on the, uh, the community, you know, giving back, you're building a greater, tighter community, which is good yeah. for the very community we live in as a whole, but yeah, your tenants absolutely. are there. They want to feel like they're part of a home and not just an, yeah. an apartment unit, not just a you know place I rent, but this is where I come home and I have my friends there and, you know, people and families and I know them and they know me and, you know, on the business side of that, also the positive outcome is less turnover, the units are rented up and business keeps going and it's it's like a win-win for the community, the city community, your apartment community, and then your investor community. It's like, man, why would we not do those things, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we just did not too well, I guess it's now a month or so ago, but you know, with COVID going on and all that, you know, we bought you know, every unit of pizza. It wasn't honestly it wasn't that costly for the complex. I mean, for a hundred units, our expenses are forty five, fifty thousand a month. And so it's not a big deal to spend a few hundred dollars a month on you know on activities for the residents. I mean our our water bill goes up and down more than that. So yeah. to me it just makes a lot of sense.
1: On another show just recently I heard apartment life which is like a Christian organization, but they put, it's a nonprofit and they put a unit. They ask you for a discounted half price unit, but they put, you know, somebody in the mission work that wants to live there in the community, do Bible studies and church events. And then they help you do these community events, the pizza, the gathering, the mother's day, the Christmas, you know, all the things with a little bit of budget money. So they do it for you and they have some pretty good stats and data on their profitability of putting somebody in there. So that's cool. Well, so back to your to your first deal, right? You mentioned some nuggets that if you're new and listening to the show and you're trying to figure out, well, I'm gonna be a passive investor, I want to learn, or even a new operator, this deal is your first one. So there's a few things. Assumption of loan, which I had to highlight, you're stepping into somebody else's shoes on their loan, on their existing, and then you, you know, yeah. may have gotten a great <laughs> fixed Right, interest or non recourse, and all the good things that you're looking for. But so there's advantages and disadvantages. This was an advantage to Dustin on this deal. And then I heard 10 to a nine to 10% cash on cash return. Man, if I have a hundred grand in there as a passive investor, I'm getting nine to 10 grand back every freaking month. So this is pretty cool. And then I also heard as a nine cap, right? So if this was like, you know, deals are traded today at a much lower cap rate, and that's you know, basically the, how much return you're going to get a dollar for dollar without debt service. So a nine is almost, almost approaching two X of what we're buying for today. So you got a great deal and, and then refinance out, man, that was cool. So you took all your money out a couple of years into it. All their investors had, you know, pretty much what all their seeds or most of their seed money back.
2: Yeah, they were, they were out is all icing on the cake at that point. So. <laughs> And then a lot of them went and put it into the next deal I had. So that
1: worked out well. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. It's great for them. It's great for you. If you're a single yeah. family investor listening to this and you're trying to make sense of it, uh, you probably know Burr, the Burr strategy. Buy, you rehab, you rent it out, and you repeat it. Well, that's kind of like you know something very similar. You bought the deal and renovated it and then pulled some seed money out. And then the equity partners are still in it. And so, man, everybody's winning. So that's
2: awesome. What was was great was the other deal that a lot of the investors ended up getting to was also a loan assumption. So we bought it at 33 a door.
1: (laughs) Wow. So the buyer's like, oh, I like this deal.
2: Yeah, this was in December of 2016. So that was a really good cap rate. And we bought that one at nine cap too it was a CNBS loan assumption. It took nine months to close that thing. So yeah, it was tough.
1: So, you know, while we're going to that time, right? The first deal, were you a passive investor before? Were you like, how did you actually do that? It's not often that somebody can say, I will raise a million and a half bucks and I'll buy a hundred unit deal as my first multifamily deal. Like how, how did you roll into that? Both, you know, tactically, and then maybe from a mindset perspective?
2: Yeah. You know, I, I think just like anything, you know, you have to believe you can do it. If you can't believe you, if you don't believe you can't do it or you can do it, then, you know, I think that's half the battle is just, just kind of upstairs, you know, and then just make sure you kind of have the right team. I was in a, a coaching program, so that that helped a lot. I'd partnered up with Kenny Wolf on the deal. Who's a, yeah. a buddy of mine. And so he was on deal number two or something like that. But anyways, you know, had someone that had been through the steps before. So that always helps. You know, it's just like anything in life, you know, if you if you want to achieve something, and I do want to mention I was a passive in two deals uh before the DLI syndicate. Sure. I think it helps to kind of see see what some of that looks like. But just like anything, if, if you're wanting to to hit a certain goal, you know, you either go find a partner or uh, you go hire a coach. I mean, I know how to swim, but I didn't know how to swim laps. And so and this is about 10 years ago. So I went to go hire a swim coach. You know, he was uh, a swimmer from A&M and, and he was really good. And, and so he taught me how to swim. And so it's just, you know, just like anything, or I'm trying to run a sub five minute mile. So you go hire a coach for that. You just
1: You go work with people who already have achieved what you want to achieve. 100% agreed. We have a lot of similarities. I'm just a number of years behind you, but I invested passively first. I partnered with a coach and a mentor, somebody that had done this already multiple times before. So I knew how to swim at this point. I was taking classes and lessons. I hired a different mentor and a different coach, like education programs. And then, you know, first deal, let's, you know, I need somebody to help me. And so that makes a lot of sense. That's awesome. And maybe I do want to come around to like what you're doing today, Dustin. But before we go that way, Hayden, I'd like to learn your involvement with everything. So, you know, this is a number of years. Dustin's been doing all these deals, been crushing it. And then you guys meet up. You're an engineer. Dustin's an engineer. You know, maybe give me a little bit of, you know, background and how you guys met and what you guys are doing now that'd be awesome
0: yeah so we originally connected through a networking app actually and just met up for lunch and got to know each other i had expressed interest to dustin you know i was just starting out brand new and kind of wanted to learn how everything was done and dustin had you know been kind enough to sit down and share some of his time and wisdom with me and kind of point me in some directions and it took a little while, but I kind of had to figure out where I wanted to go. I I had looked at some coaching programs and all that stuff too, but I really wanted to get started a little bit quicker, if that makes sense, because I didn't want to pay a a, a large amount of money for a program when I could put it in a deal or my goal really was to be a GP on a deal and not have to go the LP route first. Again, going back to the mindset, you know, I'm really, really big into mindset, a big believer that that's what's going to make all the difference. And, you know, I don't want to limit myself. So just because the typical route is to go LP route for GP, I didn't want to have to say that's the only route, you know, I wanted to figure out a way. How do I get that first deal? How do I get on the GP side? And so just kind of kept developing, cultivating relationships. And, you know, like I said, went around to networking events and just saw room for improvement and i brought this idea back to dust and i was like hey you know i see opportunity here to improve this to to really grow something because everybody's doing the same thing and if you're doing the same thing as everybody else how are you going to stand out and so i saw that as opportunity yes in dfw there was a networking event every other day it seemed like i mean there's a ton of groups up here but they were all kind of doing the same thing so i looked at that as an opportunity and said okay well, if we do something a little different, maybe we'll stand out from the crowd and that will attract attention. And I knew that if we got attention to what we were doing and grew that, that's tangible value. A broker's not gonna give me a sweet deal. Somebody that they don't know is like brand new. They're not gonna give a sweet deal to somebody that they've never heard of. So I knew finding the deal would be way harder than finding money. So we tested it out and you know, Dustin took a huge chance on me. <laughs> And the first event that we had, we probably had 20, 25 people show up. Half the people we had personally invited ourselves and kind of filled the room with. But the next month we had about 40 and it just kind of grew from there. I think month three or four, we were at 100 people per month. And it was consistently over 100 for up to our last one, which was March 2020. So it ended up, we called it momentum. Again, it's a psychological thing. We wanted to plant people's minds when they came that, because they were coming, they were going to gain momentum towards whatever goal that they had in their mind. We, we did stuff different. You know, we did it at, we, we ended up doing it at the Westin Las Colinas. A, a nice hotel convention center. We gave them free food. It's like, you don't have to pay for your food. We'll feed you. We got covered parking. You know, we, we took care of everything for them. And, you know, people responded because it was something different than what they were used to. Was, that and was the different that, part? That was the different part? It was one of the aspects, yeah. We changed networking up too because I was an introvert. I'm inherently not very good at networking. I would spend the whole time talking to the same person because I didn't want to say, hey, I want to go talk to somebody else. You know, It's kind of awkward. I Um, think that's a stereotype
1: there somewhere, right? The engineer, the introvert, somewhere stereotype. You matched it though, huh?
0: I just solved the problem for myself, essentially. I said, I'm not good at networking, but maybe we can figure out a system to make anybody good at networking. So we set a time limit and (laughs) we would go around every 10 minutes and ring cowbells and say, Hey, this is your cue to mix it up. We called it a graceful exit of those conversations because we know when you come to a networking event, you're coming there to meet a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But if you leave having met one or two, you know, that's not really what the intent was behind going. And so it's just acknowledging what everybody's thinking and giving them a cue to say, hey, now's your chance to go and meet somebody else. All so right. you don't get stuck, you don't leave with one business card, you leave with a staff. And so we did a couple things like that where people were leaving with a handful of business cards. They felt like they were gaining momentum towards those goals that they had. And then we paid attention to all the little details, parking, food, the actual experience, the environment, the check-in process, all of these things we paid a lot of attention to.
1: Hello, hello. You're listening to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I know you're serious about achieving financial freedom. Are you ready to create your own path through multifamily investing for yourself and your family? Then I know you're gonna appreciate our Investor's Guide to multifamily investing. It's titled Tackling Commercial Real Estate The Easy Way. We use this guide to invest ourselves in $93 million worth of real estate. So we're gonna show you the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications and how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. So the best part, if you've subscribed to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating, I'm gonna give you a free copy of our ebook. So please take a moment to do that now. Once you've done that, go to 5tcre.com forward slash ebook, 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. Make sure to let us know you left a review and we're going to send you a free copy. So thank you so much for subscribing to the 5 Talents Podcast. We really appreciate it. There's too many similarities between us. So understand completely, we started a meetup and I you know, brought a lot of my network. I personally invited. We had system going here in San Antonio, Texas. Right before COVID, we started with like six people, our first one, and then like 10 and then 12 and then 40 and then 60 and then like 100 or felt like 100. I don't know how many at the last one, but we did it at a nice restaurant. We gave away free food, drew a nice crowd. It felt like a, a nice event. We picked a, an event with TV screens everywhere so we could broadcast you know, kind of the initial education part. We did education and then networking and we did a sign up we did the, you know, name tag, sign up, you register, you know, X, Y, Z. So we try to make it feel that one thing we did not do, which I really love pointed out for anybody. Uh, once we get back to networking in person, every 10 minutes, let's go. Cycle through that bad boy. Who's next? I love that. I, that's a great idea for like you said, an introvert at heart. I'm not the introvert at heart. I've been a sales guy for years in IT sales. So like it's a natural thing for me when I would go to a conference or a big event. Like I would go shake as many people's hands as possible and, and I'd try to come back with the biggest stack of cards. That was a normal thing for me, but I forget and thanks for validating. There's a lot of people that are not like that. And so that that was a great call on your part. I love it. So pre-COVID. Now, maybe you guys can talk about like today. So, you know, you still need to meet new investors. We're still trying to get some education inside out there. Still trying to close more deals. So how has the networking part changed today? And, you know, any tips inside for other people that want to do something similar to what you guys are doing?
2: I mean, I guess I would say you don't necessarily have to do webinars and, or a podcast or a platform per se. I mean. You're pretty active on LinkedIn. I'd say that you could make a lot of ground just going through LinkedIn, getting in, into Facebook, and being active there. I mean, just providing value, whether that's through it doesn't. Even, you don't even have to necessarily know what you're talking about per se. I mean, you could just post articles about you know the newest thing that's coming up, whether it's you know, job loss numbers or, you know, this is what such and such is saying about multifamily right now or Sam Zell saying, you know, the uptick is coming in the fall or whatever, you know, but just starting those conversations and, you know, I mean, just pinging people. Hey, let's jump on a phone call. I see you're in multifamily or I see you're interested in passive, you know, investing passively. Or maybe it doesn't say any of that. Maybe you just reach out and you're like, hey, we're connected. I don't know about you guys, but a long time ago, I connected to everybody. And frankly, especially on LinkedIn, I don't know a lot of those people. So I'm just, I'm kind of going through just pinging people like, hey, you know, we've been connected for a while. Just want to reach out and say hi and just kind of curious what you're up to. And so, I mean, you can network through that. You know, I guess if you want to be a little more efficient, you know, you could have a webinar and you could bring on a guest does, you know, a lot more of, of the talking, you know, per se, they'd be the expert. And so, you know, you could kind of lend credibility through that. Or, yeah, I mean, there there's a lot of different ways you can really get going. And if you do get educated, though, <laughs> do start that learning process, but, but you don't have to know a ton to get started.
1: So uh, Yeah, that's awesome. That's good. Good insight so for for both passive investors and current operator syndicators, so two nuggets that I heard Dustin you know kind of talk about if you don't have a podcast, if you don't have this platform, there's still very much a way to get to be active on social either Facebook and LinkedIn and provide value and you're going to quickly start to network and meet other people so if you're trying to find other investors for your deals, you can find it there or if you're you're a new passive investor that's trying to find other operators you know that you can even look at their future oms and you know so if you guys are interested in in what dustin and hayden are doing via momentum you should like pause for a moment reach out to them connect with them on linkedin on facebook and get in their world as a reminder sometimes you know a lot of us do regulation d 506b investments which require a pre-existing relationship so if they have a deal that comes out tomorrow and you don't know them today, you, you can't get in there. It's not an option for you. So, you know, take the time. Here's an action for today. Pause right now and go do that. But anyways, this is good. This is good stuff. I really appreciate it. And these are all good nuggets here. So if I can jump back into your deals, the opportunities, man, we don't have enough time to cover every single one of them, but you've done 10 deals, 93 million bucks, Give us an idea where maybe your sweet spot is and how a couple of nuggets maybe for a passive investor. Hey, you do X, Y, and Z type of deals, and this is what we like. And then I'll ask you another question in a minute, but that's enough right there. 10 deals, yeah. what in the world? What are you doing, yeah. man? <laughs> so I
2: invest passively too, just throwing that out there. But yeah, so when I'm looking at, uh, about this constantly before we even really begin to deal honestly it's all about that location you can change you can put in all this capex you can do change out management company you can do all these things but if the area is not you know the area is struggling or or maybe you have a complex next door to it that's they don't keep the property up and, and they kind of let whoever in. You can do all these things to the property, but if, if the area is kind of, you know, not the best or high crime, it's really, 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 really difficult to do well. So we really look at the area big time. So, you know, another kind of little nugget I would throw out there, because I this is what I look at uh, kind of on a more personal basis. And Hayden and I look at this pretty carefully, too as a stress test on a deal we look to see you know you know well this is pre-covid because COVID's kind of throwing a wrench in some things but we look and see you know if we're not worst case scenario covid goes nuts and, and we're not able to raise income for whatever reason what does that cash on cash look like for year one we take their T3, what does that cash flow look like for year one? And, and if that's something that, that you're happy with, then that's kind of a check the box that we like to look at.
1: Got it. Okay. And the T3, uh, the trailing three months profit and loss for some of you that may not know and kind of looking at that, looking at the market, basically going for the best market possible because you can improve the apartment community but your actual city or submarket is not going to improve by you improving the community. You've got to pick the right, you know, city or submarket area, and then uh, your, your apartment community on the inside will will also follow. That's, that's good stuff. Okay.
2: Well, and that's what's so great about Texas as a whole. You just have all these people moving here. I'm sure know the stats a lot better on San Antonio than either of us, but we're in DFW. So we know DFW really well. And, you know, DFW has, you know, 120,000 people basically moving here per year. We're around, you know, seven and a half million or so, you know, give or take. And by 2030, we're supposed to be at 10 million. So you're adding two and a half million people. And as Hayden mentioned earlier, you know, everybody, especially COVID has really put a focus on needs and your needs are, food, water and shelter and multifamily fits that shelter bucket. And my gosh, in DFW, you need two and a half million people, you know, everybody needs a place to live. So you're basically adding the city of I think Charlotte's about two and a half million, you're adding the city of Charlotte to DFW over the next 10 years, which is just Insane. I hope the traffic's not too bad. So, <laughs> cause I like it here. <laughs>
1: it's it's, so. it's going to get worse, man. It's okay. <laughs> it's good for your investment. <laughs> so a couple of things here, we're talking about pre COVID and post COVID. And I think we're probably a lot of us are going to be in these conversations for a while, right? How has the way you're looking at deals post COVID, maybe in terms of the underwriting or the analysis, the stress test, you know, how's that changed and, or what has stayed the same? Give us an idea of some of these numbers that you're, you're looking for when you analyze a deal.
0: Obviously being more conservative on our our year one projections and being able to push income and stuff like that, especially the other income category when you're, you're not charging late fees and stuff like that. So backing down that category is the kind of the first thing that we've been doing. Also, trying to kind of look forward and see what risks are on the horizon which asset class do we think is going to be able to withstand the next six to twelve months the best so like dustin mentioned we paid close attention to the area and so immediately those c-class properties in rougher areas are a lot less attractive right now because a lot of those complexes right now are hitting all-time highs because you have government support that's helping those tenants pay rent But the question is, what does that look like when that support falls off six, 12 months from now? So on top of that, with these sellers, you have these C-class properties that are in rougher areas that are hitting all-time highs. The T3 has been trending upwards. And so they're asking a four and a half cap for a 1960s property. It just doesn't make any sense. So our underwriting hasn't changed a ton aside from a few factors, obviously being more cautious on being able to push income. Mainly shift in which asset class we're focusing on and again, highlighting that area, just because I think there's some future risks down the road that we need to be aware of. So focusing more on a little bit newer asset in good locations, again, a C-class property that's having, uh, that seller's hitting all-time highs in collections, they have no motivation to sell at a discount right now, absolutely not. But on the flip side, a new construction property that has, a has already exercised an extension on that loan, he has to sell. So there's just a difference in motivation immediately right there. So we are shifting our focus based on kind of where we're at in cycle as well, just trying to find, you know, a seller, sellers that are motivated to sell for one to find opportunity there. And then also we're concerned about the, the essential workforce of the future, so to speak. I think there's a lot of workers today that are considered essential that unfortunately might be non-essentials in the future. I saw an article early on at the beginning of COVID that Amazon had to shut down a fulfillment center because only a couple people got the virus. And it's sad to say, but Amazon's gonna look at that and say, what's the biggest problem? What's our liability here? It's the human element right there. And so I think moving forward, Those companies that are on the forefront of technological advancement and stuff like that, they're going to outsource the human element and those essential workers today are are going to potentially become non-essentials tomorrow. So our focus is to really pay attention to that technological revolution that we're currently going through because every business right now is being forced to figure out how can we operate with no contact from our, our computers from online. And so moving forward, I think that's going to be more and more of a concern. And we want a tenant base that's going to be able to adapt with those changes, learn new skills, to be able to work remotely. And I think the B and A properties will probably be able to withstand that a little bit better than the lower C-class properties. And that's not to say that all C-classes is going to do poorly in the future. I think there's a lot of great see assets that are still in good locations and have good solid tenant bases, But again, it goes back to seller motivation too. There's just, it's not worth paying a four and a half cap for 1960s, 1970s property when you pay the same price on a cap rate basis for something brand new.
1: Yeah, you make a lot of sense. I'm 13 years in the IT space and uh, I saw the shift of IT transformation, they would call it. And that's basically from human interaction and involvement of services to no human needed. I think every time you get into an Uber or when we used to get in Ubers, you didn't have to talk to anybody. You could just pay your money. You didn't have to exchange any cash. You could buy Domino's pizza on an app without having to talk to anybody. It would be delivered. Same with a house. I rent a house on Airbnb. And these things are really contactless type of opportunities for those providers. But prior to COVID, they didn't know that they were going to deal with the pandemic. And now you know, the restaurants and the services and curbside delivery and check in and this is your space. I don't know how what you guys are doing over there, but we have like space number one, two, three, and you call ahead and you get your order and you know, I don't have to go inside the restaurant. And so, you know, businesses in general that can deliver to that are gonna win and their employees are gonna stay employed and they're gonna be tenants in your apartment complex and be able to withstand and withhold, you know, that so that that makes a lot of sense. And you know, a lot more remote workers. Are gonna come in the future. So if you haven't googled, I would check out hashtag PropTech. P R O P T E C H. There's a pretty cool movement on PropTech, which is you know for us as operators, syndicators, a lot of contactless services that we can implement for our potential renters, like viewing an apartment, setting up you know a meeting to go into the go into the unit, get your little code, put it in there go walk the property, go check it out without having anybody to like actually go do that. And then move in days, same thing. Here's your key. And you know, all all this really cool stuff, but security systems, cameras, but anyways, so I've taken up a ton of your time and I appreciate it. Before we go, maybe have one or two more questions. I'd love to give you guys an opportunity to highlight anything I missed before we do that. Where can our listeners, viewers get in touch with you guys? What's the easiest way to get into your world?
2: I think just going to our website, com is a good site to check out and you can get in contact with us there. So yeah, probably the best place.
1: com.
0: Yep. Yeah, we've got all sorts of stuff. If you, we've got a new investor portal on there. We've got what we call a content library. So we do bi-weekly webinars as well where we have recordings and we broke it down into different sections of all these experts so we've got different series like multifamily 101 power panels which is like different operators on a panel and then heavy hitter series too where we have you know guys that have done thousand two thousand units stuff like that so we've got a cool bunch of cool resources there too
1: right on
2: i was wanted to mention we had a women's panel not too long ago and that was that was uh very well received and a lot of fun and coming up we have a physician panel physicians and multifamily so it's kind of kind of fun one thing i did want to mention I i don't want to take up too much time but just from the past investor standpoint so you know i guess i would kind of you know hone in on so it's you know not to scare people away or whatever but i would you know really look at really take a you know hard look at the sponsor in terms of you know kind of doing your due diligence and things like that it's You know it's not a not a marriage with the sponsor but you're potentially um in this relationship for five seven up to potentially 10 years or maybe longer if you do a 1031 or a refi but you know i'd take a hard look at that and on the flip side i'd also take a look at you know you sometimes see partnerships that they come together very quickly and we've seen, you know, a few deals that we've underwritten that are not doing so great. Now I think it's because of, you know, these partnerships that came together very quickly. Um, hey, let's do a deal. And hey, I got a deal. You can raise mine or whatever. KP, come on. So just, you know, having these deals that come together quickly, you know, I mean it's a team sport. So you know, I definitely get it. But just. You know, I guess just kind of looking at the team and you know just making sure it it kind of makes sense. And so yeah, at that point we it's fine. It'll be interesting. So we have a webinar coming up where we have kind of someone that analyzes partnerships and teams. So he's going to analyze Hayden and I. So that will be fun.
1: Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but that's all.
2: But <laughs> yeah.
1: I hope you guys are in a good spot on that day. Uh, I know the obstacles come and go, but y'all will do amazing, I'm sure. That's a good point because, you know, like you said, partnerships get formed quickly sometimes. And then, you know, oh, we're in this deal for five years. And I didn't know you don't like to work on the weekends. And I didn't know you like to work weekdays. And I didn't know that. I want to have a meeting. (laughs) You know, I'm like, probably some things you should have talked about before (laughs) jumping into it, how you're going to operate it and, who's going to take, you know, what responsibility and how you guys are going to come together on reporting and, you know, basically operate the deal. Yeah. So that's all good points. Definitely great questions. Thanks for bringing that up. That's that's a really good point too, because
0: for me as somebody starting out, you know, it's, it's been an 18 month long journey and it's been tough at some times, especially when we get so close to getting a deal. But on the flip side, you know, it's something that I've been extremely grateful for because like you said, like Dustin and I've been working together, we're on the phone every single day, almost all day long. So we've got to understand how we work well together. We were out hiking in, in Arlington yesterday together, and the whole time we're talking about deals and different opportunities and stuff like that. So getting to know who you're dealing with is such an important piece of that puzzle. And Because it's everything's easy when, when things are going good, but when things go south, you've got to know and be able to
2: trust, have faith in your team and your, your partners. Yep. So there's nothing like uh, testing a team, like throwing a charity event together. <laughs> uh, so we so we threw that, a charity event in December. Yeah. Man, it was, it, was a lot of
1: work. it was a lot of work. So tell me, would y'all, thanks for bringing this up because I understood that you guys were working on something. Tell me a little bit more about this event. What'd you do? It's your way to give back. I'd love to hear more.
0: Yeah. The idea was that if we're buying communities, we want to make a difference in the community as a whole too. So that's where Dustin and I, were both very philanthropic. We want to give back. And that's where, where the idea came from. But Dustin's actually a member on the charity's board. So I'll let, I'll pass it over to him, let him explain.
2: Yeah. So idea like Hayden said was, yeah you know, was, was giving back. And so I remember we went to the charity and we're like, hey, we want to throw an event and we want, you know, to benefit you guys. And they're like, and this was in like, I don't know, September, October of 2019. And they were like, oh, so when do you want to throw the event? Do you want to throw it, you know, in fall of 2020 you know, or about a year from now? What are you thinking? And we're like, oh, we're, we're thinking a month or two from now. We're thinking December. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, um... <laughs> So anyways, we had, you know, we kind of scaled it back a little bit, make sure, you know, we could kind of hit our targets. But yeah, we had an auctioneer come. We ran auction. We had a raffle event. Yeah, we ended up raising, I think after expenses, we ended up raising, I think it was around seven grand for the charity. And that was after expenses and everything else. So yeah, so it went really well. We had kind of a main speaker Uh, michael becker was was nice enough to lend us some of his time and expertise and and he spoke and then we had another gentleman uh we had raffled a lunch off with uh anthony wonderly so that went off point really well too um so yeah it was it was a lot of fun but it was really nerve-wracking because you're trying to raise his money for charity and man it's you know (laughs) the pressure's on you know (laughs) you want to do well for this charity because they're over there in the corner you know they're like hey we're hoping to get some money you know so
1: yeah anyways it was a lot of fun can i ask what events or who did y'all benefit for yeah
2: it's a cancer care services in fort worth and yeah and then they they asked me to be on the board shortly after that so that was fun
1: Nice. Very nice. Well, congrats. And that's one of the ways you're giving back. I'm sure there's a few others, but all the content and everything that you're pushing out there for your community and then also the the, uh, the cancer group. That's awesome, man. Well, that's really great. Do you all have plans for more of those in the future? Yeah, we're talking about that and what
2: that might look like and different set of circumstances now with COVID. So, you know, we're obviously... Probably not meeting in person. Can't meet in and person. So,
1: so we'll we'll see. Yeah, right on. Well, man, thank you very much for the time. Oh, we appreciate it. And before we go, anything else that maybe I didn't ask about that you guys really, you know, were excited to share either with, you know, from operator standpoint or passive investor? Any last vital word of wisdom? Anything in general? I just think
0: you know wherever you're at, it doesn't really matter. There's always a road to get to where you want to go. Dustin and I have two very different paths on how we get started. So if you have the goal, I would just say, go for it, figure it out. You know, a lot of the stuff, Dustin and I were like, especially with the charity events, like neither of us have thrown a charity event. I have no idea how to throw a charity event, but we're going to figure it out. And that's kind of always been our mentality. And so you don't have to have all the details figured out on how you're going to get to that destination. But as long as you have the goal and you're working towards that every day,
1: you'll get there. Well said. Well gentlemen, I sincerely appreciate your time. I look forward to uh, to getting this out there soon and it's been a pleasure. Again, my name is Abel Pacheco, I'm your host at the Five Talents Commercial Real Estate podcast. So if you want to connect with me, you can go to our website. It's 5tcre, this 5tcre.com and I uh, look forward to it and connect with Dustin and Hayden. I'm sure they would be pleased to provide some additional point you some education resources and show you a deal in the future to invest with if you so wish. So look forward to having seen you again, guys in the future, hopefully, and we'll stay connected. Thank you guys.
2: All right. Sounds good. Thank Thanks. you. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the five talents podcast with your host, myself, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from industry experts and commercial real estate investors who followed their dreams and achieved massive success. Before you leave, let me ask you a few questions. Did you enjoy this episode? Did you learn something valuable? Was your mind stretched to what's possible and what you can achieve? Do you want other experts just like the one you heard today? If you answered yes to any or all of those questions, then please take a moment to subscribe to the Five Talents Podcast, give us a five-star rating, and most importantly, leave us a written review. Tell us what you liked, tell us your favorite guest. Give us any feedback. I'm excited to learn and improve so you can get a more valuable show. So thank you again for subscribing to the 5 Talents Podcast.